Welcome to Podcast Payoffs. This is our next episode. My name is Gord Vickman, here as always with my partner, Dan Sullivan. So happy you're joining us. we got a show I'm really excited about today, Dan. It's a topic that comes up a lot, not only in the podcast space, but in the media space, anybody who creates anything. And you have solutions that I think are really interesting. And essentially, if you stick with us today, right till the end, we're going to teach you and tell you some of the Dan Sullivan methods and what we use in Coach to how to create things that people will want to pay you for. It's just that simple. Mm -hmm. This comes up a lot in the podcast universe. People produce shows, and if you do it properly, it does take time, and it takes effort, it takes energy, and it takes a little bit of money. So for the longest time, people were saying, well, how can I monetize this? How can I make money from this? Because advertisers don't really want to talk to you until you're up in the 30, 40, 50,000 spins or downloads per episode. So if you're just building and you're at the 100, 200, 1,000, 2,000, you're not going to attract an incredible amount of attention. So just recently, both Apple and Spotify rolled out a subscription plan. Now, we're not going to get too geeky into it, but Spotify, if you want to take advantage of their subscription platform, first of all, you have to host your audio on Anchor. Spotify bought the audio host called Anchor, so you got to migrate all your shows over there. And they'll take 5% after two years, so they'll give you all your money, and after two years, they want their cut of 5%. And you can charge $2.99, $4.99, or $7.99 a month. Apple, not to be outdone, they take 30% immediately. That's a big mouthful. And then if people stick with you for a year or longer, they'll knock that down to 15%. And then they have other options, which kind of... Dan, you've heard of Patreon, where people can produce content. Mm -hmm. And then you know you pay for special access to certain things, and you give them a monthly fee to continue doing what they're doing. Apple's kind of rolled a bit of Patreon into that, where you can do what they call freemium content. So you can have a free podcast, but then if you want a special episode, you can subscribe to those special episodes. So half of it is free, and maybe half of it is not. They really kind of let you do what you want to do. All the ad revenue that you may be bringing in is yours. So this is Apple's you know, handshake, I guess, to podcasters and Spotify, because for the longest time, people didn't really know how to make money from doing their shows. And I thought it'd be interesting, Dan, I thought of the strategy circle when I was kind of reading about this, because the strategy circle, as you've mentioned before, is the very first idea that you came up with mm -hmm. that you realized, holy smokes, people are going to pay me for this. So mm -hmm. could you just go back to that concept and the process of making it and when you realized maybe... I think it was the earliest conversations with Babs when you realized that, oh my gosh, I have something here that people are actually going to want to pay me for. Yeah, well, I started coaching, period, in 1974. You know, it was just something that I felt I had skills to. I mean, all entrepreneurs get into the marketplace because they believe that they have something to contribute. I had about, I would say, about eight years of R&D, some of it very, very enlightening and some of it very painful. But I had a sense that the world of the microchip, which was being talked about more and more through the 1970s, was going to introduce tremendous opportunities for someone who could help other people think clearly. I would say that that's my number one skill, and it's a lifetime skill. I've always had this ability just to ask people questions about what they want, when they want it, how they measure it, and to kind of give them some structure and some focus about putting together game plans. And this 
kind of fit in with the fact that the microchip, especially when the personal computer came in 1978, 1979, that entrepreneurs who had been marginal creatures in the big corporate bureaucracy era, you know, the for first 70 years of the 20th century, it was really, really big bureaucratic factories and offices and government got big. And mm -hmm. then you had trade union, unions got really big. Everything was big and sort of a pyramid. You know, you worked in a hierarchy. And on the fringes, on the borders of this was entrepreneurial activity. I had a feeling that the microchip than the personal computer was going to give individual entrepreneurs and small companies the kind of backstage thinking power, if you will, decision-making power, having good data that uh, previously you had to have a big corporation, you had to have a big company. And I had read a lot of articles predicting this, so I collected them. And what I discovered is that a uh, very fundamental breakthrough, and this started in 1982, and we've been consistent with it over you know the last 39 years, and that is that people would pay for thinking. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you showed people processes and methods for thinking about things, that people would actually pay for that. So it was sort of the in-person equivalent of what later became software programs, where software programs would direct your thinking, they would ask you questions, and of course there's thousands of them in various industries. But the difference with those type of systems and actually having a person there is that the person will continually modify and change their questions as you give answers, so it's much more dynamic. And then I had zeroed in on entrepreneurs as the best target market, the best clients that I would. And I started with one process, which is called the strategy circle in 1982, as you mentioned. You know, to this day, it's still the mothership for all the other thinking tools we've created in Strategic Coach. We have the cocktail napkin illustration, for lack of a better, I'm sure it wasn't a, well, it could have been, I don't know. Did you draw it on a cocktail napkin? Actually, it was sort of architect's vellum. So it was a neat thing. I just drew it on a big, huge piece of paper. It was 17 by 22, which is sort of an artist's sketch. And I drew this sort of pictures what happens to your thinking as you go through the process of the strategy circle. And what it is, is that it gets you to identify your vision. You have a vision. I would put time frames on this, you know, and sometimes it was six months, sometimes it was a year. Probably it settled in around three years that I would work with entrepreneurs, 12 quarters, and they would pay me by the quarter to guide them through thinking towards the achievement of very significant business and personal goals. I did that from 82 to 88, and I probably did it with 100 individuals and groups. What I began to realize was that about 80% of how people think about the future is exactly the same regardless of what occupation they're doing. There's kind of like an 80% to entrepreneurial thinking that you can actually capture in the form of processes and structures. That gave me the confidence along with Babs, my partner, who really saw the 
implications of what I was doing. She said, this is going to be really big. So in 89, we said, we can put this into a workshop format. So instead of just having one person that I would work with for two or three hours, I would work with a room full of people for seven hours. Mm-hmm. We thought maybe there's a limit to it. Maybe there's 20 people and get it to 20 people. But actually, I've tested it with over 100, and it works just as well. So that's a huge multiplier. First of all, I've got a thinking process. Everybody goes through the same process, regardless of what their business is. And they can talk about how they're experiencing it. Even if in a room you have 20 or 30 different industries, you're taking people through a common thinking process. And then we would identify certain things about how you think about time and how you think about your clients and how you think about teamwork. So that original thinking process started to generate other thinking process. And I think we're up to over 100 that we have, where we have copyrights and we have trademarks, we name them. And then it allowed us to have other coaches. So we have 17 other coaches now and thousands of clients. We do about 500 workshop days a year. And it got out of hand, Gord. That's the only thing I can say. You know. <laughs> I would say, yeah, that got a little bit out of hand. And we still find that the in-person is actually very desirable for people who just want to think something true, and they want it to be a creative interaction. So that's really where we went. And of course, we took advantage of software. We took advantage of you know the internet. It's now we're taking advantage of mobile. And now we're into a new realm, I think, here in 2021, that we're entering a whole new world. I think that the microchip was first, then, you know, the personal computer, and then the internet, and then you had cell phones. But I think we're entering with the invention of the blockchain and various products that come off the blockchain that you can put on the blockchain, I think we're into something brand new. And of course, we're aided now with the great success of virtual conferencing, especially Mm -hmm. Zoom over the last year. So it's speeding up. I mean, really, we're experiencing, you know, quite quick, constant technological upgrades so that the original premise that individuals, just lone individuals and small groups of people, have more and more reach, they have more and more capability, and they can have a bigger vision of what they're doing. So Babs obviously was the main catalyst when she looked at you and looked at the strategy circle and said, this is going to be really big. Now, Babs does not have the time nor the inclination to go around to everyone's ideas and give her opinion on whether this is something that people will pay for. So thinking back then, was there one particular thing when you were looking at that or any tool Is there one specific thing, and even from all the entrepreneurs that you've coached, is there any one specific thing or is there any way to find out without actually running the test on check writers, or is that the only way to figure it out? There's lots of work done in universities and done what I would call in large bureaucracies about creating better thinking methods. How do we make decisions faster? How do we create plans faster? But my sense is that there's something unique about the entrepreneurial world. One is that you're dealing with individuals who literally take their capabilities, but most of all their confidence in the marketplace and said, I can create a different kind of value for you. 
in terms of how you're thinking about the world. My feeling is that the greatest test of value is actually to test on people who would pay you for it if they're convinced that it's right. So that's one of our real safeguards in COACH is that our tools are really tested on people who see their own immediate self-interest involved. They're not going to just try out an idea because it's kind of a neat idea. They're going to pay you money. They're going to invest time because they think that you're providing them with a unique advantage, maybe an unfair advantage over their competition in the marketplace. And so I've kind of just latched on to this particular type of person, you know, and I've been at it for legitimately certainly over 40 years, but since 1989 when we started the program, it's just been our sole focus. I think entrepreneurs have gotten more powerful over the last 32 years in terms of the capabilities they have and how big their vision can be and how big a reach. And it's, you know, just vastly expanded just within the last year and a half. One of the things that I notice that's going on in podcasting right now, there are, you know, close to 2 million, there could be over 2 million index shows right now. <laughs> when we first started just a couple of years ago, I think it was in like 700,000. 700. Yeah, I think it was like 750 and now we're up over 2 million. Yeah. So it was kind of interesting. You just launched a new show with Jeffrey Madoff. It's called Anything and Everything. We're packaging that right now and that will be online shortly. So when I was getting it all ready and we were getting the audio set and getting the logo set and securing hosting and whatnot, I went online, you know, due diligence. I went on Apple Podcasts and I typed in anything and everything. So sure enough, there's five or six shows called anything and everything online on Apple. And I thought, oh, no. Okay, so let's see what we've gotten ourselves into here. One of them has one episode and that's from three summers ago. The other one has five episodes, and that's from about two years ago. They haven't done anything with it. One of them has five episodes released on the same day about six years ago, and then nothing happened. And then there was another one that I think is just a logo. I don't even know if they ever published anything. Or they may have published a trailer. They were saying that what they were going to do, and that's from about, mm -hmm. I don't know, seven or eight years ago. So I thought, okay, well, this is dead stock, and we're good to move forward with this because we're going to actually do something with it. Yeah. I think about this a lot. Why would people start something? I mean, people start things for a lot of reasons and don't carry on with them. But I think one of the reasons why people get discouraged with podcasting is because they don't see any action. They don't see any movement. And just to go back to sort of bookend what you were saying, I think one of the reasons why shows are not successful is they don't know who they're talking to. They have no idea who they're talking to. There's so many shows where people just interview anyone that comes along and they'll take anyone, but there's no focus and the shows are always different lengths. You'll have one episode that's an hour long, one that's 10 minutes, one that's three hours long. There's no consistency. So it's almost like the sitcom analogy where you have to know what you're getting and what the characters are going to say. If you think about a show like Seinfeld and you take any situation like a cat stuck in a tree, well, you have an idea. You know what Jerry's going to say about that. And you know what Kramer's going to say about that. So that consistency helps keep people with you as well. And those will help your numbers. But I truly believe that the reason why shows are not successful is because people just don't know who they're talking to. So you knew right off the start with the strategy circle, you're not talking to farmers, you're not talking to corporate suits, you're talking to entrepreneurs. So you knew who you were talking to, you knew the value you were going to bring to them. And that's sort of how it kicked off. And then you had Babs there as well. And then the money slowly started to roll in. But I'm sure there were moments right at the start where you weren't quite sure, or were you just steadfast and you were saying, okay, this is going to happen. Come hell or high water, I got to make this work. Yeah. And I think that's a characteristic of entrepreneurs. 
I remember when I went through my second bankruptcy, I had had two bankruptcies, one in the late 70s and another one in the early 80s. And I had to go and talk to my banker. And he wasn't a mean banker, but he was sort of sympathetic and his hands were tied because they had rules. He said, you know, I've learned something about you. He says, we've talked. And he says, you're a writer and you're an artist. And he said, why are you fooling around with this when, you know, you could just get a good job and... Mm-hmm. Go get a job, Dan. Get a job. Come on. You wouldn't be having conversations with your banker, <laughs> you know, for this. And I said, well, the reason why I've failed and I have to come to talk to you is because I'm not smart enough yet. Okay. But that has no bearing whatsoever on whether I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. I said, what this is teaching me is that I have to get a lot smarter, especially about cash flow. And one of the things that came out of that is a decision in 1984 that I would never again have receivables. So it's been 38 years now, and we've had a business that has no receivables. And what I mean by that is when someone enters our coaching process, which we call it, you know, a strategic coach, you pay all the money up front. So if you're going to be in for a year, we get the money at the beginning of the year. I talked to people about that. They said, well, you can't do that. You know, nobody will pay you up front. And I said, well, I'll find the people who can. <laughs> so I said, movies get away with it. You know, like, I mean, when do you pay for a movie on the way in or on the way out? <laughs> the thing is that there was no question in my mind that I would ever not develop and pursue and keep building what I was doing. So I was dead set on that. The way I looked at it is if I completely fail, you know, for my whole life, I'm just one out of billions of human beings. Nobody will even miss me. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not like the world is depending on me. I mean, whether I succeed or fail, nobody really cares. And I said, so that gives me sort of a freedom to just have a 100% commitment. And then I hope it doesn't require years of courage to do it, you know, that I get some success. And then, you know, we started, you know, we broke even and then we started making money. And then that was one-on-one -on -one coaching. And then we had enough material under our belt as far as being able to give a lot of variety and being able to give people new things every quarter. So we started in 1989, and you know, every quarter over that period, we're in the 32nd year, I've created brand new material every quarter. And that's really the essence about it, you know. But going back to, Gord, your point about people not being real clear why they're doing a podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing this to be a famous podcaster. I'm developing different ideas channels that directly contribute to people signing up for a strategic coach. And we've got a big price tag. I mean, we're not a cheap program. And the people who write the check, this doesn't have to be a big check to them, but they can see a big outcome if the program works for them. Mm -hmm. So to wrap this up and summarize, has anyone ever walked up to you point blank and just said, how do I monetize my ideas? Has anyone ever just done that because they're totally lost? Because I feel like that's what I threw at you at the beginning of the show, and we've snaked our way down this river here. The big thing is, and this is hard for a lot of people to accept, but it really isn't about you. It's about how you can help other people with their future. You know, over the years, I've just gotten a lot more skillful 
at asking the questions that really allow an individual to talk about their future, and they find that valuable. Then I have a process where they select the measuring points in the future that would tell them that they're having a bigger and better future, and they find that valuable, and they'll pay for it. And then they would like checkups where they can course correct, where they can measure progress, and they can start adding to their capability beyond themselves, and they find that very valuable and they'll pay for it, okay? None of this has anything to do with the product of strategic coach. It has to do with that we've, as much as possible, put ourselves in the future of other people, and we're more skillful than they are about thinking about their future, because I've done it with, personally, I've done it with about 6,000 entrepreneurs over the last 20 years, and I've come at it 50 different ways. I've heard all the different approaches, and I got that all in my head. So you spend an hour with me, and you're going to make two or three years of thinking progress because I've really simplified it, you know. And then our coaches, our coaches do the same thing. So our whole company lives in the future of our clients. We live, we wander around, we discover new things, but we simplify it. We've got an overview. And I think that's more and more what people consider really valuable. And certain kinds of people will pay a lot to make three years thinking progress in a very short period of time. Well, we hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks so much for joining us today. We talked about the strategy circle earlier. As Dan mentioned, strategic coach program is not for all entrepreneurs. It's for a very specific kind of entrepreneur. But we have access to everyone. If you click strategiccoach.com and you just click store, one of your mini books, Dan, your quarterly books is called The Strategy Circle. We hope we provided the value that we promised off the top on how to monetize your ideas. But you know what? I'm a bit bearish on the subscription podcast model, Dan. I got to be honest with you. I see where they're going with it, but I have this sense that it's like throwing a life preserver to a drowning person. <laughs> I see, I see well, where they're going with it. But can it I just tell you why I would have doubts about it? Sure. The reason is, I mean, if you take radio and you you have many years as a skilled person in the radio world, you're dealing with a scarcity. You only have so much bandwidth with radio. You know, AM's only got so much bandwidth. And if you can get a station on that, you have to pay for the station. And once you've got it, nobody else can use that. The internet is just sheer abundance. There's 2 million series. Well, it doesn't use up any bandwidth. You know, you could have 10 million stations. And the other thing is, I think that the people are using it most skillfully. Don't care if they make any money on the podcast at all, because they have such a back end. If people relate to them, they make a connection with them. And they've got a huge back end, you know, which we do with our program. Why would you ever charge for it? It doesn't make any sense to charge for it. Mm -hmm. Or use it as a lead gen like we do. You know, people hear your thoughts and they ideas and tools yeah, and coach. And they develop a relationship. You identified right off the bat that the pull of podcasts, I mean, the podcasts that I like, Joe Rogan, you know, I really enjoy just watching how he asks questions, how he responds and everything like that, you know. There's a lot to learn there, but 
it's got nothing that means that somebody's going to get control of it. What, Apple's going to get control of all 2 million series? I don't think so. And besides, they don't have any control over the internet. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like if there's a show that people aren't listening to before, they're certainly not going to pay to not listen to it either. <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to stomp on anyone's dream, but I feel like if you, you know, take some of the nuggets that you just shared with those who are listening, you know, find an audience, test on check writers, provide value to a specific group of people. I mean, there's no guarantees in life, there's no guarantees in business, but you'll be well on your way, at least in a more focused and with a lot more potential than you would have had otherwise. On the next episode, if you will join us, we're going to be chatting a little bit about something you brought up earlier, Dan, the elimination of the middleman involving technology, and it's going to be a wonderful thing. Thanks so much, Dan. Thank you, Gordon.